We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode number 101. We have made it past the 100 mark, Scott. Now we know. Now we have a whole other century mark to go. It's exciting. Uh, the The first 100 was fun. I know the next 100 is going to be fun. And your your last show, you said something about the Yankees getting a title before 1,000. That's a long way to go, considering we did 100 episodes in two years. Yes. I don't know if you thought about that when you said it. Uh, well, I think I was probably saying it 
half sarcastically. Right. But, uh, maybe by episode 200. That's oh, two wow. more that's seasons. Ne- two more okay. seasons. It's going to be tough. Yeah. Uh, last, last week, I also asked everyone to give the podcast a rating and review. We got up to 100, which is what I asked for, and that's great. But we're exactly at 100. So let's pump that up. Just keep 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 uh, keep rating it, keep reviewing it, uh, whatever you guys can. Give it a five star review; that would be much appreciated. Uh, I, I don't know what number to ask for. How about for next week, one fifteen? So that means fifteen listeners who have not reviewed the podcast so far. Go into iTunes, give us a five star review. You can write something about it. I did uh, really enjoy one of the reviews. I tweeted it out from the BP Show Twitter. That uh, somebody said his his favorite position player is Chase Headley. His favorite uh, pitcher was Nathan Ovaldi, and his favorite podcast was ours. So that guy's clearly been listening for a while. Gotta love the gotta love the uh, the inside jokes on the on the reviews themselves. You know who the real listeners are. So appreciate that. Yeah. So uh, feel free to write anything funny in there. Uh, we'll 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 read it or we'll, we'll get a kick out of it as long as it, it's a five star review. That would be much appreciated. So, so Scott, uh, do you know what this Wednesday is? I do, Andrew. I do know what this Wednesday is. <laughs> Wednesday, October 26th, 20 years to the day of 1996 World Series celebration, as if it has not been shoved down your throat for the past eight months by the Yankees organization and Bronx and Stripes. Uh, yeah. we, are, we are definitely guilty of that. But Wednesday, October 26th, 1996, was Game 6 of the World Series. Uh, Girardi's triple, Mariano coming in, getting two innings, and then Wetland with that heart attack close job with Charlie Hayes catching that pop-up. We are going to release the audio from our interviews that we did with Andy Pettit, Jim Laritz, uh, Cecil Fielder, Tino Martinez, and Doc Gooden. If you guys have not already heard that, that will be out Wednesday, so tomorrow if you're listening to this on Tuesday. So uh, that was a, about 10 to 12 minutes of good audio. Uh, talked about 96, talked about a lot of different things with those guys. That was a huge thrill for us back in August to uh, to talk to those guys, but definitely check that out on Wednesday. Yeah, that was a fun event overall. There was a signer event that we went to, just in case anybody doesn't remember us talking about this back then, but it was a Steiner event that we went to. It was the, uh, the it was basically celebrating the '96, the dynasty, and and yeah, we were we, we were able to get in in touch or in front of uh, six of these guys. So it was a lot of fun. Definitely, definitely something really cool when you know these are the guys that you grew up with. Like that's the team that that is marked down in your head as like your team, like the team that started it all. And the fact that you know we were able to talk about the. Not only '96, but you know, you know, their opinions on what some of the new guys are doing and how the franchise is, and all. So it was, a, it was a big thrill for sure. And we had a really good system going. It was like we were working the room. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, um, I pretty much blacked out for that 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was good. So yeah, let, check for that on Wednesday morning. I'm gonna put together all the. It's a, it was a video clip originally, and I'll just uh, I'll pull the audio from it and patch it all together for everybody. 20 years later, we have the Cubs and the Indians in the World Series, and this is a milestone World Series because it is the largest drought between teams, as if you couldn't have guessed already, but 174 years combined since either of these teams have won the World Series. It was 1948 for the Indians, and it was 1908 for the Cubs, and the Cubs haven't even been in the frickin' World Series since World War II. Hitler was alive and reigning the last time the Cubs even made it to the World Series. 
it's it's ridiculous when you see the uh, some of the people that were wearing the shirts like just one before I die. Like these are old people that have not seen anything, have not seen them go to the World Series, have not seen them you know really have any success uh, besides a couple. Uh, stumbling fleets in in success uh, for for a short amount of time that was usually ended by something very very strange. This year, nothing strange <laughs> happened. Even though I you could see the look on every single yet. one of their faces, nothing and then, has yet happened. Yeah, but I mean, just in the ninth inning, in the ninth inning, going in the uh, in the Lee Championship Series, like the look on their faces was just sheer panic and fear that something was bad was going to happen, and uh, it was kind of amusing seeing that. My wife and I were watching and just kind of laughing at the facial expressions because that's all they've expected. That's all they've known is, you know, just waiting for the other shoe to drop. So luckily for them, it didn't. And, uh, you know, they have a hell of a team. So, so we'll see. We'll see how a, it goes. As a baseball fan, though, don't you enjoy that? Don't you want that to keep going? Again, we've, you know, I, I'm, I'm fine with the Cubs finally getting over the hump. You know, there's the, there's going to be another team. There's going to be yet. another team who we can call, we can start making fun of at that point. So. Uh, There's always going to be somebody who's got a long drought. It's coming too easily for the Cubs right now. They they were they were uh, a surprise team last year. So everything that happened last year was gravy for them. This year they were the favorites going into the season. They were the favorites all season long. They were the best team in baseball. They had the best offense, the best pitching, the best defense, the best record. They steamrolled through the playoffs. They had one little hiccup in the NLCS, and now they're into the World Series. And it's just coming a little bit too easily. As far as my tastes go, I, I want to see the Cubs fans suffer a little bit more. Everyone's saying, everybody I say that to is like, haven't they suffered enough 108 years? No, they have not suffered enough because they haven't been in the World Series since 1945. They haven't been close since 1945. Other than 2003 with the Bartman situation, and I, I think there was one year in the 80s where they made the playoffs and were, were in the championship series. They haven't sniffed the World Series. It's like you can't compare them to the Red Sox who made it to the World Series countless times and got their hearts ripped out. These Cubs fans have seen nothing but pitiful baseball for 108 years, and they need to suffer a little bit more. They need to lose this World Series because the Indians also have not won in a long time. So they need to lose this World Series to the Indians, and then maybe next year I'll root for them. Man, you are a bastard. I mean, any Cubs fans that were listening to us have now... Just have completely cursed you out and uh, and will no longer listen, but that's brutal. That's that's brutal. It's not like the Cubs are going up against a team that's a that say they were going up up against the Royals right now, and the Royals just won the World Series and they've had right. some recent success. Then I could understand, you know what? Let the other team have success. But the Indians also haven't won in forever. So yeah, but the Cavaliers just won, so they have oh, a championship good, in the on. city, and they made a big deal about that. So Cleveland. The Cleveland fans, Cleveland in general, has has just had some recent success. So, you know, aren't they uh, aren't they a little too a little too close for that? Any success to, to get a the, World Series also? Any success that the Cavaliers had has been erased by the Browns. Let me ask you another question: If the Cubs do win the World Series, does Chicago burn down again? <laughs> because that place is going to go bonkers. How long have you been waiting to say that one? I you know I have not been that that was just that was come from you know what's funny talk. though just think of these things so I have a I believe I mentioned my buddy who's a White Sox fan and he is scared shitless that the Cubs are going to win the World Series again he was uh, g chatting me today 
with articles about why the Cubs should not win. And one of them he sent me, it was funny, all the, the social media posts from like NBC Sports and SI.com and MLB, the Cubs, or it's like the city of Chicago, something you have not seen in 108 years, the World Series. And it's like dot, 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 oh wait, weren't the White Sox there about a decade ago? It's like that city has completely disregarded the White Sox and forgotten that they won the World Series in 2005. Yeah, I forgot the the White Sox won the World Series. Exactly, too. <laughs> it's it's uh it's even worse. It's an even worse situation, even worse little brother situation than we have with the Yankees and Mets is with the White Sox and the and the Cubs. Yeah, people definitely remember when the Mets won the World Series. I mean, I could I could wing off when the the Mets won the World Series, but the fact I I, I legitimately forgot that the White Sox did, and they had until you they just said killed, that. they killed a huge drought when they did it too. Yeah, well, do you even I remember guess... who they played? No, I, I I don't even remember them in the World Series, to tell you the truth. Oh, five. Well, you, you were also, what were you, in college at that point? No, you what were, year you was were this? out of college. Oh, five. Oh, yeah, but it, it got worse when I graduated for a couple of years. <laughs> so you were in that 22 to 26-year-old phase where you just were blackout drunk the entire time. I was, I was earning money to drink, yes. They played the Houston Astros led by Roger Clemens and Andy Pettit. Oh, is that the year that Beltron got really hot? Yep, that was the year. No, no. Beltron... Beltron was with them in 04, the Astros, and then uh, had an awesome postseason and signed with, signed with the Mets in 05. Okay. Uh, 05, the Astros had a disgusting pitching staff with Clemens, Pettit, and Roy Oswald. Right. Yeah. No, I, now you're saying that I remember the Astros being in there, but I still don't remember the White Sox. <laughs> I, I remember the White Sox had something crazy where they had like four complete game shutouts in a row in the playoffs or something wild. Freddie Garcia was their ace. Was Frank Thomas still on their team? Uh, no, I do not. He, I do not think so. Because I remember when they were talking about the uh, they were talking about championships in general on the Fox broadcast. Frank Thomas looked like he was a little left out in the, of that conversation. And yeah. Um, in my head right then, I was just thinking, uh, I couldn't remember him winning ever winning a World Series. This oh, is wait, before, before I forgot was. about the 2005 team. He was on the 05 team, but he only played 34 games, so he obviously got hurt. Um, and I don't remember him playing in the playoffs. And then he went to Oakland and had that renaissance year. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> wonder. Uh, yeah, but speaking of that Fox broadcast, the, the combination of A-Rod, Frank Thomas, and Pete Rose is, is glorious. You know, I still I, I still have a thing against A-Rod, man. I, I can't help it. I can't help but look at him and him drive me crazy with the calculated things that he says every time. The way that he, like, does – he, like – like I don't know what he does with his lips. He does something right after he says it. He like he does something weird with his lips. Like every single time he finishes with a point, and then looks over to Pete Rose, and Pete Rose is just waiting there like he's a drunk old man waiting to zing him. <laughs> and it's just I, I don't know. Everything is so calculated. The one time I liked what A Rod was doing was when he when they were doing like demonstrations and they were you know they were they were out of their. Uh, their little box about sitting so still and and so upright and he just looks like a robot to me yeah they had like an eight and a half minute clip of pete rose just getting in the batter's box and crouching down and talking about the good old days it was awesome yeah yeah that was good yeah a-rod is definitely it was like he was made in a baseball analyst lab yeah he's very calculated extremely calculated i can't stand what he does i wouldn't wouldn't say calculated is the word i think he's he's always looking at his notes too he's like he's got that exact thing he says he says intelligent things well, that's fine. It doesn't mean it's not scripted and and uh, and calculated and rehearsed. 
a hundred times. I think it's that's what it sounds like. I mean, when you're comparing the playoff broadcast between Fox with those guys and TBS, the studio with Gary Sheffield and Jimmy Rollins and Pedro Martinez, I mean, it's night and day. The Fox yeah, is agree. so much better. the The TBS broadcast was not only boring, but it was incoherent. I I mean, I really I can't handle listening to Pedro Martinez talk. Gary Sheffield really should not be a commentator. He should not be, especially a guy in the in the studio. I mean, he just doesn't have that many quality things to say <laughs> to be nice. And Jimmy Rollins, I thought we were talking about this. I thought Jimmy Rollins was by far the best person there. I think J- Jimmy Rollins putting in a, a good situation would be good at this because he definitely has some really good things to say. He articulates himself very well. Uh, I, I think he's he's phenomenal. I think in there, but he's just a. He's just kind of stuck in the mud with the rest of the I think the he was guys a little confused at all the dumb things Sheffield was saying. Yeah, Sheffield doesn't say very many intellectual I things. I mean, do Yankees fans remember what Gary Sheffield said about Joe Torre and the Yankees when he left? Do you remember? Kind of. He did an HBO Real Sports, I yeah. think it was, interview and trashed Joe Torre. said he was racist, that he didn't play black players. And then the counter to that was like, right. well, isn't Derek Jeter black? He's like, he's not all the way black. <laughs> it's like, Gary Sheffield, you dumbass. So yeah. that's Gary Sheffield. And he he came here for three years, put up monster stats, and was just a blood-sucking leech on this team. And then they finally traded him for nothing. And was actually, wasn't he with Detroit when they beat the Yankees in the playoffs? Something like that. He floated around a little bit. I mean, the kid, the guy was a filthy hitter. Oh, yeah. He was he's he's one of those guys that you fear is up in the, when he's up in the box. He, I mean, him and Vlad Guerrero, I think, were two of the more feared hitters of that time. Sheffield played for like thirteen major league teams, and you don't get tossed around the league like that unless you're an asshole, right? Oh yeah, well it's well known that he was. He was definitely that guy. Um, getting back to the World Series though, uh, Miller versus Chapman. I mean, it's kind of amazing to think back to July when those two guys were traded. And the fact that both of them are now in the World Series. If you're the Cubs and the Indians, you have to be absolutely thrilled with how those trades have worked out for you so far. And I know some people are probably looking at what Andrew Miller is doing in the postseason. And Chapman's also having a good postseason. And saying that the Yankees are idiots for trading him. But isn't this kind of a, a win-win situation for not only Yankees fans, but both teams. I mean, the Yankees got the prospects they wanted. And the team president of the Indians even again reiterated that he still thinks they gave up a lot for Andrew Miller. So the Yankees got the prospects they wanted. They got prospects for Chapman. And those guys are doing well in the roles that they have now with their new teams. I I feel like it's kind of a win-win so far. I mean, this is what's supposed to happen when you make a trade like this to a team that that needs a you know, a certain position or a certain area of their team that to, to be improved and a Yankees team that is struggling and just really can't use that to the best of their advantage to, you know, take them over the next level. So it's exactly what's supposed to happen. And the fact that they're playing each other in the World Series is pretty ironic, I'd say. Um, and I don't know how the Yankees feel about that, particularly how well they have done. But yeah, I mean, it's I mean, obviously it's contingent on what Frazier does and what Torres does. Those are the two big ones. Those are the two big names. So we won't know that for uh, you know at least a few years. But yeah, I mean, it's good, you know good for the teams that got them. This is exactly why they got them. Um, and I think everybody, especially Yankee fans, are extremely happy for Andrew Miller because he yeah. was nothing but phenomenal when he was with the team, and he's just a good dude. Yeah, and I think that's also a reason I'm really rooting for the Indians is because I love Andrew Miller. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Uh, there's, you cannot root against that guy. I mean, he's so he's so good at what he does. He's so, you know, he 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 does anything for the team, 
and he's just a nice guy too. I mean, every time he talks, he just seems like a good dude. Um, t- tough to root against him. I remember. I, I think a Rod. I don't remember if he said this on the broadcast or if it was in an interview recently, and he said that he never saw in his years in the big leagues a more devastated clubhouse than when Andrew Miller was traded. Yeah, that says a lot. I mean, that says a lot about a person. You never. I wonder what the clubhouse was like on August 13th when A-Rod was out, though. <laughs> I mean, A-Rod wasn't there to, to comment on that, so I don't know. It could have been even more devastated. Or yeah, I mean, you're, like you're crazy devastated. See, I I honestly think as much as A Rod was a jackass over the years, I think he at, towards the end he was very well liked in that clubhouse. Yeah, I, I I think that at the end he was. I think because he finally he finally stopped talking, he finally started doing the right things, and you know people I think generally give other people the benefit of the doubt, especially when they're in the same clubhouse. Guys from other clubhouses, I don't know about. But when you're in the same team, when you have to deal with that guy every day and he's, you know, acting right at that point, then, yeah, you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And then, I mean, I'm glad he is. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm glad that the last year I told you, I I, I, I definitely, my stance on him lessened by, uh, by a lot. I, I still don't like him. <laughs> I still never got credit for coming up with the term eroticence. Why? You got credit right on the show. Yeah, everybody but, listening. But said, it, knows meaning you said it, it never, it never took off. Is what I mean. Yeah, maybe, maybe because it was very short, very short lived. It wasn't a long enough renaissance. Yeah, if it was longer, then I, you know, it was used more. Do you know he used the term "retired" referring to himself on on one of the pregames? Oh, I didn't hear that. I heard people talk. I heard Pete Rose talking about his last game, and other people talking about his last yeah, game. He, I didn't well, hear it was when Reggie Jackson. That's another thing I know. I I have uh, DVR the Reggie Jackson making October making Mister October uh, documentary that Fox did this weekend. I got to check that out. I'm looking forward to it. But Reggie Jackson was in the studio with them, and Alex said one of the reasons I retired is, and then he went on to make a point, and I didn't even listen to the point because I was so shocked that he used the word retired. Because he well, he didn't use that word in the uh, post in the press conference he did when the the thing was announced and the whole his whole last game he never used that word, right? Because that word gets you out of a contract. That's why. Well, not now. The Yankees already agreed to. No, not now. That's what I'm saying. That's why he wasn't using it then. <laughs> he, he couldn't be retired at that point because once you're retired, the team is off the hook. Well, as soon as those retirement papers are are signed, you're the team is off the hook for any contract. So yeah. But yes, he's essentially retired. I'm pretty sure I nailed exactly how this was going to go down, and that the fact that they had a, a a handshake in the back, him and him and Steinbrenner, they they have an agreement that's it's it's definite. He's not going to play ever again. He's going to be. I mean, how many Yankee stats is he throwing out? It seems like every every broadcast he on the pre or post game, he's constantly Andy throwing Pettit. out a Yankee stat. I mean, he's still like kissing up to the Yankees every single opportunity he can. He wants to be part of the organization for the rest of his life so badly. And well, if he screws that up, then he's got nothing left. It's the only organization he has a chance to be with. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Rangers are out of question, and I don't see the Mariners inviting him back anytime soon. So, the Mariners would be the only other one, but it's well, he too was, long. It was it's so, so long, long ago. So long ago, and it's like, yeah. If you're think back to the '90s, I mean, they had Griffey. So Griffey's and their that's guy. who they are. Griffey's their guy. That's yeah. exactly right. So, um, and even before they, I feel like they'd welcome Edgar Martinez back. They'd welcome Randy Johnson back. All before they welcome A Rod back. Jay Buhner, right? <laughs> what the hell did you trade Jay Buhner for? <laughs> I just watched that episode. Actually, <laughs> classic. 
uh, Saturday mornings are completely changed. It's like they've brought back Saturday morning cartoons for me. It's the, <laughs> TBS has made Saturday mornings great again oh. because now they have Seinfeld starting on, at like seven thirty. It's on at seven. It's on uh, Saturday mornings. Oh I yeah, it's they're on, running. They're, they're running all of the reruns because they were they couldn't run them during the postseason. Yeah, they're running. I don't know when it started. I thought it started before the post. I'm pretty sure it started before the postseason. It's so funny to see Seinfeld reruns on TBS getting better ratings than like new shows on these other networks. Still, 20 yeah. years later, I, I've never even thought of having Seinfeld in the morning. So now I'm like, I, I'll even get up earlier sometimes just to go downstairs, you know, drink some coffee and watch Seinfeld on Saturday morning. Yeah, it's I literally like a rocking, kid again. I saw you were rocking the '90s Yankees mug with some Seinfeld. That's it. That was it. That's my giant like mug. You are well big on your way mug. to forty. Get, I mean, yes, that's true. <laughs> Getting there very fast. Uh, so, so uh, you're pulling for the Cubs, right? Have we established that? No, I actually, I just want to see a good series. I, I'm not, I'm not upset. Whoever wins, I, I really, I could really don't care. I don't mind if the Cubs win. I, you know, I'd like to see them win, I guess. But at the same time, I'd like to see Andrew Miller win. So. Um, I just want to. I want to see a good series. I want to see a good series too. And on paper, and even in what we've seen over the past six months, I mean, the Cubs are a better team. They're like I said, they have been the favorite all season long. But I think the key to this series is going to be: Can Cleveland's bullpen continue to dominate? If they right. can come into the games in the fifth and the sixth innings and shut down the Chicago offense, I think that this is going to be a really tough series. But if the Chicago offense is raking like they were in the last couple games against the Dodgers. Um, I mean, it felt like they could not be stopped. Once they got out of that funk in game, what was it, game four? They couldn't be stopped. I mean, Kershaw, he was in a no-win situation in game six. There's only a handful of guys in in baseball history that could have gone in there and shut the Cubs down in game six, ready to go to the World Series. And as good as Kershaw is, I don't think he's one of those guys that can nut up quite that much. So let me let me put a scenario in front of you because this is something I heard talked about, and something I actually disagree with what uh, Dave Roberts said. Who Dave Roberts? Every time I see him, pisses Ugh. me off. I can't I can't look at him. I really can't. It, he drives me crazy. But um, there were people talking about the fact that Kershaw started in Chicago, where he could have started Game Four five. or Game Five. Game, game Five, five yeah. in in uh, in L.A. And I'm on the side that. I'm starting my guy in game five to to try to you know try to get up and you know we would lose one then you have a game seven and then God knows what happens at that point. I'm trying to take the momentum out of the Cubs' hands and go in with momentum into Chicago. Personally, that I would I would have pitched my guy at home to get the series lead. So that would have been his fourth start in a row on short rest. Yes, I mean it's a tough call. I. I know what Dave Roberts was thinking. It was, I'd rather have Kershaw 100% on full rest because I think he's capable of that. But at the same time, if it goes back to Chicago, you're you're fighting an uphill battle. You have no momentum. Um, I guess the argument can be made that Kershaw, if he went in Game 5 and they lost, he still could have pitched in relief in Game 7. But I think he could have done that anyway in Game yes. 7 if they made it. So I actually agreed with what Roberts did. Well, see, the problem with that is that if you lose Game Five and the Cubs are up going into uh, going into Chicago, you're not going to win two in Chicago. It's not going to happen. It's unrealistic. So that's why I felt like that game Even, was a but must. They had they had Kershaw and Rich Hill going. I mean, exactly. I, I, I don't know. I, you're not going to win two. Rich Hill doesn't. 
in a game seven, I'm sorry, you never know. He might get a blister in pregame. I don't know. You know, he might maybe he didn't drink enough water the night the day before and he was his skin was dry. It's ridiculous. Maybe Kershaw said he couldn't go. There's no way he said he didn't go. There's no way. You know he wanted the ball. Get the lead going into Chicago. Talk about making them nervous, putting them on the fence a little bit more. That's that's what you, you need to apply pressure as much as possible to those Chicago Cubs. But they were going, they were up one, going home, and needed to win one of two. He would have that absolutely means, pitched had they been in a, an elimination situation in Game Five. It, oh yeah, if they were, if exactly, if they were in an elimination game, yes, they would have. Yeah, I, I mean, but to me that that's a must-win game because you cannot lose that game and go down going into Chicago. Well, I hear, here's where I think the Dodgers totally screwed up, and it was when Lester was on the mound in Game 5, and they did everything they could to try and get in his head, except actually try and steal bases. They yeah, were he can't throw over. 15 feet, 20 feet off the bag, jumping up and down, doing somersaults, and they wouldn't freaking steal. I didn't understand it. Yeah, with a guy like Lester, I mean, you got to go. you got to push the envelope as much as you can. And I honestly think... Uh, Cleveland is going to. They led the league in stolen bases. I, I could see them stealing every time they get on first base against Lester. Who knows, who knows John Lester better than Terry Francona? Come right. on. Yeah. So, uh, he's going to get under. There's the, no doubt. There's it's an interesting thing, dynamic, actually. There's one thing you can say about the Indians is they are not afraid to try weird things, and they will do whatever that is unconventional to try and take advantage of situations like John Lester's yips. Yeah, it is a great dynamic with Terry Francona. There's a lot of Red Sox ties in this World yes. Series. There's a lot of Red Sox ties, and there's a lot of experience between Joe Madden and Terry Francona, pitch, you know, managing in the AL East. These guys know each other very well, know each other's tendencies very well. And I think, I mean, when we were going through our manager rankings, I'm pretty sure Francona and Madden were our top two. I, I think we both agreed on that. Or at least they were up there. They were my top two, and I think they were up there for you. Joe Madden, I know, definitely was. And, yeah. I mean, if Terry Francona – I mean, he's done so much in this postseason to make me feel like he is one of the best – two or three best managers in baseball. Yeah, but the fact that they had, they know each other so well, and, and you're right. I mean, with the, the you know, Lackey and um, – Lester. And Lesser. Theo, and, uh, Theo Epstein. And the catcher, Ross. Yep. Uh, so there's yeah there's a lot of ties there and th- I mean they know Francona too so you know there's going to be some background on what he does and and just different tendencies that he has but he's going to push the envelope there's no doubt about it he's got guys to do it too yeah that Kluber versus Lester matchup in game one is I mean the the Indian starting rotation it's almost like they don't even have a starting rotation uh, other than Kluber I mean they just count on their they just want their guys to go like four innings get us four innings and we'll try and figure out some way to get through this game yeah. Um, because they got Trevor Bauer going in game two and he was gushing blood on the mound <laughs> the last time he was out there. I honestly don't know how his finger is going to, if it didn't work last time, what's different this time? I mean, the size of that blister, blood blister with stitches and everything was, I, I was actually shocked at how nasty it looked. And it was, it took him like 10 pitches before it was dripping blood everywhere. I mean, how how long ago was that? A week? I mean, so I'm sure a week, a lot of things can happen in a week as far as, healing yeah i know but you can't pitch with anything on your hand like you can't have a bandage on your hand not at all not even if it's flesh colored nothing on your no you can't have anything on your hand on your pitching hand that's a foreign substance including including um like a like a bandage of some sort yeah it'll be interesting to see how it works you know maybe they put a few more extra stitches in there to hold it tight but um 
Yeah, it, you're right. They they don't really have a rotation that they depend on. I mean, it's it's a you know get me through four, get me through five, and get the ball to whoever is uh, is deemed the, the matchup guy at that point. And I mean, it's been working so well for Francona. You, this is one of those scenarios where you think at some point it's going to stop working because how long can it actually work for? Uh, you know, how how long can you sustain success doing that? Because you're you're really you're playing with fire every time that happens, and they've done it for two series now. Um, but yeah, but at this point, it's like when Kramer was test driving the car. They're they've been running on empty for a week now, and they're just going to keep pushing it until they run out of gas. Well, that's the thing; they are going to keep pushing it. But I mean, is it is it sustainable for another series against the Chicago Cubs? So the that, thing that, I'm worried that, about that we'll is the fact that they've been off for four days, five days at this point, and the momentum is is people say momentum is only as good as your next day starting pitcher, but I honestly feel like momentum in the playoffs is a thing. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know. I, I've seen the. I saw the stats. I forget what they were exactly, but the the team that had like a large rest did not do well. They lost uh, a significant percentage of the of the World Series. But um, with the fact that they don't have a, a starting pitcher that's that's really that great, except for Kluber, uh, they you know maybe that's thrown out the window because they have four or five guys that are going to come in and, and try to shut you down. So maybe the rest. It's all about for that offense, man. If they, if they can. If they can, uh, hey, Andrew Miller's been a starter before. Maybe he. Uh, no, I'm saying the extra rest for him. Now he's going to pitch three innings every game. Yeah, I mean, it, I, that's the one thing that's very good for the bullpen is the fact that they have gotten some rest. So the fact that these guys have have gotten some uh, some decent rest in between games is a very positive thing for if you're if you're Francona and doing the same type of scenario and uh, and you know going four or five innings and then having your bullpen. So I mean, I we'll definitely I'm definitely glad that the Cubs made it to the World Series. And now there's talk that maybe Schwarber is going to be activated for the series. That would be epic. That would be awesome. I really hope he's been out for a long time. When Since did that game, happen? Was game it spring two, tra- game two of the season? Oh, it was in season. It wasn't spring training. It was no, yeah. It was game two of the regular season in Anaheim. He shredded his knee on the warning track. You gotta believe he could come in there and take some swings. I mean, all He's they been gotta go Arizona Fall League. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so he can play. Well, I mean, Arizona Fall League isn't exactly Andrew no, he's Miller physically able on to a play. World Series. Diamond. Yeah, but he's physically physically able to play. No, yeah, he's physically playing baseball right now. Oh, oh. Put him on the damn roster. You need yeah, a DH. Yeah, you've got to, even for pinch hitting and DHing uh, yeah. situations. Haven't they seen what Kirk Gibson did? I mean, let's <laughs> let's just maybe he re-injures that knee and comes up limping and hits an epic Steve Balboni-like home run, and it's phenomenal. That is. I mean, that's, 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 I mean, that's that's what you can. That's all you can ask for. The one thing I would say about being someone in Schwarber's position, it's it's like you're on the you're on the Cubs. You were a star for that team last year that came up short in the playoffs. Yeah. You're supposed to be like the number three, number four, number five hitter this year, and you shred your knee. And then if they went on to win the World Series without you, it would feel you'd feel so robbed, wouldn't you? Yes, I would feel robbed. But unless he he unless. he sneaks his way onto this roster. All he's got to do is play one game. <laughs> one game. A couple at-bats. One hit. One hit. It's going to take you know, one hit. You get this guy in some some big at-bats. I mean, you have to put him on the roster. He's perfect. He's perfect for the yeah. I mean, who's American your League Park. Who's your 25th guy on the roster? Are you telling me he can't? he's going to give you more than Schwarber could? Yeah. I don't know how... You know who, who we haven't seen much on the Cubs was uh, Jorge Soler. And I know he was... I guess he had a hamstring earlier in the year, and he's been kind of fighting that. But I thought he was going to get a lot more run than than he has. He's only had a few at bats. 
I could understand you wouldn't want to activate him for the NLCS because he can't play a position, but the fact that you could potentially play four games in an AL ballpark, yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta yeah. do it. I hope so. I really do because that would be some 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 good baseball. That's that's some good television. I do love Kyle Schwarber, so that that is gonna make me uh, have a more difficult rooting decision. But. I mean, Kyle Schwarber in like a in like a series clinching at bat <laughs> versus I mean, Andrew Miller. Ver- <laughs> You don't get much better than having the guy that's been gone for the whole year, who's kind of like their, you know, their their big, their their, their overweight dude who just pa- just mashes up for like a, a serious at bat at the end of a series. I mean, that's that's awesome. I you like I, like you said at the beginning, it just I, give me a good series. I, I I am rooting for the Indians, but give me six or seven. I I I hate when these series end in four games and there's it's stripped of all drama because. Baseball playoff drama is unlike anything else. I agree. And doesn't doesn't it feel a very like a very Joe Madden move to have Schwarber on the team? Oh yeah, that's like uh, he's like a baseball savant. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's it's, like um, it's perfect. Absolutely. All right, let's get into some Yankees discussion here. So I was trying to think, what do we talk about? We've been talking about offseason moves, offseason plans, a uh, couple of the prospects, but. This episode, I want to talk about the starting rotation and specifically CC Sabathia. You and I agree what he did for them last year. Here's his stats: nine and twelve, but that record is deceiving. Three point nine one ERA. He made thirty starts, which might be the most shocking of all because he was healthy pretty much all year. One hundred and seventy nine point two innings pitched and a seven thirteen OPS allowed. And the reason I give that OPS that is because that was actually his lowest allowed OPS since two thousand twelve which was basically the last time he was a good starting pitcher. Um, He struggled during the summer months, July and August. If you look at his splits, his ERA was over five in both of those months, but it was under three and a half for the rest of the season. Um, So it seemed like he put all that crap with the rehab and the alcoholism to bed, at least from what we know, because he pitched well in 2016 and was on the team the whole year. Um, And he was actually one of the more consistent starters. So, I guess my question is, what are we looking at for 2017 with CC? I still think it's a huge question mark. It's got to be a question mark only just because of his age now too, and the fact that his, you know, his knee is it going to hold up? I mean, what he did last year with that knee brace, it seemed like that was a big deal, and he was able to, you know, to keep that the the leg stabilized, and he was comfortable pitching with it, and. Uh, he got used to it. And, I mean, this is the year that we were waiting for for the past couple of years that you and I have been talking about ever since the beginning of the show, really, is, you know, when is CC Sabathia going to realize that he has to pitch, you know, a la Andy Pettit uh, at the end of his career and start painting corners and really, really changing speeds and not able to rely on that fastball anymore because it's not there. And, you know, when's he going to be able to do that? And, and is he going to be able to do that? And this is the year that... You know, in 2016, I think he proved that, yes, he can pitch and be an effective starting pitcher at the major league level, <clears throat> still without a 95, 96-mile-an-hour fastball um, and and change speeds enough that, that guys are really off balance and uh, and limit the mistakes. Because, um, you know, what we saw this year was him not being as careful. I mean, his walks were up. That was something that was a topic for, for a long time. Uh, and, you know, when when is that going to burn him? Because the walks were up, uh, he gave up a, a decent amount of home runs. You know that's that's one of those things that he just has to to deal with and live with, and it's it's just out of the norm from what he's used to. He has said that next year, even though it's the last year of his contract, he wants to pitch past then. He's owed twenty five million bucks in twenty seventeen. 
Uh, I mean, it's an absorbent amount of money for a guy who's his level, but I honestly could see, I don't see the Yankees giving him anything after that unless he duplicates his season. I could see them bringing him back for much less, but regardless, say he struggles next year. Could you see a situation like we saw with A-Rod where the Yankees just pay him to go away? Yeah, I think nothing's out of the question. I think with this this entire youth movement, I think guys that are not performing, that are making a lot of money, are going to become a lot more expendable as their contracts are dwindling to the end. And I think the Yankees have shown now that, you know, with Alex Rodriguez, they will eat some of that money and they will, you know, they're not going to have the either distraction or just a guy that doesn't belong on the team anymore and they will cut bait with him. And we, you know, they weren't the first team that's done this. This has been a, almost a trend in the past year and a half in the major leagues of guys of teams eating contracts just to get rid of a guy. I mean, it's like an acceptable thing now. And the Yankees, you know, being the New York Yankees and having all the money that they do, you know, they, they should absolutely do it. If, if it's going to improve the team on the field, cut bait. And I, I think they proved last year that they will do that. Yeah, if CC is pitching the equivalent of what A-Rod was hitting, I could definitely see them doing it because there's a lot of younger starting pitchers that should be a priority for them. Unfortunately, all those starting young starting pitchers, none of them are really – they're all kind of in the also question mark camp, which is a problem. Brian Mitchell, Luis Sessa, Chad Green, Luis Severino, Jordan Montgomery, and Dietrich Enns. Those are all question marks as far as I'm concerned. So – CC's going to get a starting rotation spot out of spring training as long as he's healthy. But if he's sucking and it's the middle of August, I could see them just being like, hey, we'll pay the rest of your 10 million bucks on your salary and just don't bother us anymore. Yeah, and if there was a guy that was ready to go in the minor leagues and that was going to take his spot, I think it would be a different story. But you're right. There's a lot of guys that have... I mean, granted, we saw some really good stuff from Sessa and Green this year. Green, unfortunately, had... Uh, went down towards the end of the year with an injury, but I mean he he was starting to show very well as a starting pitcher. I think Sessa showed a lot. I think he improved. I think he showed that he's got the the moxie, if you will, for um, you know to be a major league pitcher. I think he's got the arsenal too. I think he's a he's a guy that can have success. You know, I don't think he's a one or a two or even you know three right, four. I think I'm he's going to live. Is in. That Mitchell, Sessa, Green, and I'm I'm just going to put Severino on the side for now. But Mitchell, Sessa, and Green all seem like middle to back end of the rotation type guys. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I agree. So, I mean, those are valuable. You need those guys, but... I, I, think, I think Mitchell has potential to... And even Green. I think Sessa is uh, is like a three. I think that's, that's really what he is. I think Green and Mitchell have more upside as far as, you know, what, what their stuff. <laughs> I know we love that word, but... Um, yeah, they have a little bit more stuff. upside. They don't have enough guys with stuff. Everybody in the major leagues has stuff now. Every young kid coming up has stuff. It's ridiculous. Yeah. When stuff was a thing, like there were the stuff was actually, uh, you know, something that that we haven't seen. Like there's this guy throws hundred miles an hour. Watch out! Like everybody's glued. He throws a hundred miles an hour, and there's movement. Now everybody does that. Yeah. So Greg Maddox laughs at your stuff. Yeah, Greg Maddox does laugh at your stuff. <laughs> Dietrich ends though. That that's a guy who's. Speaking of Greg Maddox, is a guy who's touching, you know, 90, 91 miles per hour, but painting corners, who's had a lot of success. I think that's a guy that, if you can, uh, if you can continue that, that's a guy to to keep an eye on because those guys, if they can still throw with, uh, you know, that that pinpoint accuracy in the major leagues, they have success. Those are guys that you, you know, they're not going to wow anybody, um, but but they they're hard to hit. So let me get this straight. I just I want to 
uh, make sure I'm clear on this. You're saying that Dietrich Eng is the next Greg Maddox? Yeah. I don't think either one of us are saying his name right, but <laughs> you say Dietrich, I say Dietrich. I, so I don't know what that, you know, what's right. Diet Rich. Diet. diet. He's, uh, yeah, he's the next Greg Maddox. He needs to put some glasses on. We you heard some, it. Some, you heard it some here old first. Old school folks. frames. Old school yeah, frames. Yeah, not enough players are wearing glasses anymore. I agree. They've gone with the rec specs. So, but, yeah, like uh, Clippard. Clippard wears the rec specs. Uh, uh, Tate wears the rec specs. So I want to talk about Adam Warren and Brian Mitchell because Mitchell won the Adam Warren role in spring training. This is when Warren was on the Cubs. But do you think they will have Mitchell be a starting pitcher in spring training next year? Or will they key in him for the bullpen? And with Adam Warren, do you think they could explore moving him back to the rotation, which he actually did very, very well in in 2015 he made 17 starts pitched 96 innings had a 3.66 era and a 245 batting average against i mean that is a very good starting pitcher a 3.66 era would have ranked him 30th in baseball this season see when i look at those two guys and when i see next year and the way that the the team kind of looks like it's going to be I, I want more reliable guys in the rotation. I want guys that are going to eat innings, are going to keep a, a t- our team in the game, um, and, and I want some more of these dynamic arms out in the bullpen. So that being said, I would like to see them put Warren back in the in the rotation. I think I think he's better in the rotation. You know, last year when we got him back from the Cubs, he was good in the beginning of the you know when he first got back, but he became. He became a really terrible pitcher towards yeah. the end of the year. I, I mean, think he was, he was riding. He was so hittable. He, he was, was riding a high of being traded back to the Yankees. I think probably for those first couple weeks, but his stuff looked real shitty towards the end there. And if his stuff isn't going to be uh, mid nineties so out of the we bullpen, we can use stuff in like a negative sense, but not a positive sense. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I use it to support my argument. When, yeah, okay. when, when, when will you learn this? Right. Right. But. I mean, his fastball was in the low 90s, and that doesn't really work for a three-out performance. Yeah, but, I mean, like you said, he's had success in in the rotation. I think he's perfect for sliding into the back of that rotation. He's a guy that you can rely on for, you know, to get you through five, six innings. And, uh, and you know, potentially... He was one of their best starting pitchers in 2015, and then CeCe Sabathia came back and took his spot. Right. But Mitchell's a guy. Mitchell's a guy. I it just kind of stuff-wise looks like he he slots better. He projects better in the bullpen, just because I think when he is in the bullpen, first of all, he's got natural movement on his pitches. That's that's something like the ball jumps out of his hand, and when he's in the bullpen, he's throwing high nineties. This guy's got electric stuff. When he's when he's in the rotation, you're not seeing that as much. And I don't know. I just he seems to me more of like a you know a really a really key asset. Especially with a team that has a very questionable starting rotation going into next year, we're going to need that that bullpen to be more uh, of a of an asset, but not just at the end of the bullpen, but the entire thing. We're going to need guys to be able to come in on the fifth and sixth inning and be able to provide on you know a, a regular basis. So we need guys that, that can be relied upon way earlier than the seventh inning, and I think Mitchell could be one of those guys. I think he can he could really lock down like a sixth inning role if that's because that's you know that's the way things are going. I mean, pitchers are going five innings. We need a fourth inning guy, a fifth inning guy. It's soon, yeah. Guy. It's going to be like that. It is. Well, I actually, I, I actually uh, kind of had this uh, 
revelation is that I would like to see the Yankees use Batances as the fire extinguisher role that Andrew Miller is now performing versus a closer next year. Yeah, I mean, depending if they have a closer or not. I think they don't have- I would be fine with Tyler Clippard taking the ninth inning and then having Dellen Batances pitch anywhere from the fifth to the eighth inning whenever the game is at its most critical juncture. The other the other thing about that, what is, are you talking about clean innings? Are you talking about him coming in in, in the middle of an inning when there is I a think point there's where... A, there's a both situation. A, a clean inning scenario if it's the sixth inning and your starter's already out of the ball game, but two, three, and four are coming up in the opposing lineup. Yeah. Don't go to Adam Warren. Let me see Dylan Batances. On the other hand, if it's the eighth inning and seven, eight, nine are coming up and you have a three-run lead, you don't need to use your guy just because he's the quote-unquote eighth-inning guy. You can use a lesser guy when the game is not as pressurized. You know, there's a couple things that that would really benefit from that scenario. First of all, I think these labels are are really hurting baseball. You know, the more you look back at it and and now you're seeing what Francona is doing with Andrew Miller and and what uh, Dave Bleepin' Roberts did with uh, Kenley Jansen bringing him in early a few times. You're, you're seeing that these guys are are very useful at different scenarios, and the fact that that they are labeled as the ninth inning, the closer, is doing them a disservice too, because you're not putting them in the most uh, effective position. Um, that being said, the the way that the 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 game is trending with the starting pitching roles, you're gonna need to bring these guys in sooner because starting pitchers are just not going deep in games anymore. And you're right. If you got, if you have a pivotal situation in the sixth, in the seventh inning, where the top of the uh, the top of the batting order is coming up in a two-run ball game, why wouldn't you throw your best guy out there at that point? It's almost like it's stupid to think why it, why wouldn't you? Other than the fact that that's baseball is very traditionalist, so it yeah. hasn't been done that way for years. So managers don't do it, and it's it's infuriating to think about because. It, it just makes sense that that's how you do it. That, to me, is good managing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's managing against what's in front of you and not because who knows, predetermined the ninth path. Inning, you might have a six-run lead in the ninth inning, yeah. but you know you don't have a six-run lead in the sixth inning, and the game could get away from you in the sixth inning. So, um, I mean, it's just a, it's just a dynamic. I, I think the Yankees need to be exploratory with their team next year because if they compete, that's kind of bonus. I think... Both of us think if a lot of different components work out, they could compete for a playoff spot, but it would not shock me if they're around a 500 team. So why not play around with your team and and try new things and see if it works? Yeah, they need to be in that ex, uh, that exploration zone. Yeah. See, see what works, see what doesn't work. Let's uh, do some experimenting, experimentation. But that's just not Joe Girardi. Yeah, it's like a college phase. It's like a college phase. It is like a college phase. Like junior year, you're going to do some experimenting. Maybe some drugs, (laughs) maybe some sex. You never know. Whatever whatever feels right at the time. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, You see that the Yankees announced some stuff today that they are updating Yankee Stadium. Um, So they released a press release saying they're trying to make the stadium more fan-friendly. Uh, Some of the big changes are that they are taking out the obstructed view bleacher seats, which are the ones closest to center field next to the Mohegan Sun sports bar, and they're turning those into bullpen viewing decks. Um, And I think it's funny that it only took them eight years to get rid of those obstructed view seats. They spent $2 billion on a new stadium and built obstructed view seats. 
I just don't understand what architect is designing a brand new stadium for the New York Yankees and going going into that meeting with obstructed view see oh no you can't see left field from this seat you it's no you can't see it it's obstructed I understand well, it well, if well, your how, about, how about is, not if your ballpark is 95 years old I get it but when it's Built in 2009, I should be able to see the state, all of the field, no matter where I'm sitting. In it's the a new design. How about we make it? Uh, how about we make make it and actually put the uh, the, the viewer, the the fan, uh, at the top of the priority list. But hey, the of- Yankees listen. They they said today their tweets were, "Hey, fans, you spoke and we listened." Eight years later, and we took those seats out. Well, I think the conversation about Yankee Stadium has just been been louder and louder over the past couple of years, and I think a lot of that is because they're not winning. But uh, the fact is that everybody, there are a lot of people complaining. My my question is, can I can I walk from from right field to left field without being stopped? That's yeah. I still think you're going to be able to walk in the same uh, uh, concrete behind behind the the sports bar. Yeah, the the breezeway area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think but I don't want to. Finally... I don't want to walk there. I want to walk. I want to walk where I can see the game better. So, so the Yankees. I so so I'm I'm being sarcastic, and they're adding new bars, new roof decks, new party areas, and that's all fun and great because I think those draw more fans into the game. But I think what they're realizing is the fact that they can't just sell fifty thousand seats. There's not going to be fifty thousand people that just want to go and watch the baseball game. They're going to need to have a Budweiser roof deck, and they're going to need to have a, a bullpen viewing area and a bigger Mohegan Sun sports bar, and and this kind of food and that kind of drink because that's what fans of teams that are not winning a hundred ball games are going to be into. Yeah, and you're seeing. I mean, you're seeing this trend all over the place with these these open air bars too. And the fact that they're doing that in, in center field, I think, is a positive thing. I think it's good. It's gonna it's be kind fun. Of, it's gonna be. It's fun. kind of like a, a minor league feel at that point because you're because you're in like a. I think every single minor league stadium has that that deck in right field or center field or wherever where there's just like a giant party going on the entire time. And I feel like you're going to get a similar scenario because there are some people who want to do that, and you could get more. You could you could sell some standing room only seats for that as well. I don't know if they're going to do that, but well, you could. I'm guessing they're going to get into not some, for the regular season. They're going to get into like some events, selling ticket packages and stuff like that, just to get big clumps of fans into the stadium. Yeah, because well, they, they many, had that one area, games, one area, but there are many many games where half of the stadium was empty this year. Right. They would announce 42,000 people, but it was 20,000 people. Uh, any other updates you would like to see to the stadium? Like I said, I, I think that every part of the stadium should be accessible. That's the biggest thing that, that just drives me nuts. I don't think there should be any area that's not accessible to people, you know, unless it's like an indoor club. Like I, I get that, because that's everywhere. But the outside areas of the open-air parts of the stadium should be accessible to all fans at least to walk through there's no reason it shouldn't be that way it's ridiculous um they need better food and i know they overhauled the whole menu last year but like they still sell papa john's pizza like are you kidding me like can't we get some better pizza and some better foods it's new york city there's a billion gourmet restaurants and they're running out papa john's pizza I, but I don't know. I guess people that are going to these games looking for the bougie food are, want more food. No, or want I don't better want food. bougie food. I just want better food. Like, I'm never going to eat sushi at Yankee Stadium. But You want decent pizza? Decent anything. Like, it's all going to be expensive. I understand that. So if I pay $10 for a cheeseburger or a, uh, a uh, pizza, I don't want it to be Papa John's or some crappy... 
I mean, the, the, it seems like the burgers, like, the no, burgers were yeah, getting better. Yeah, they were not really that good. I tried a couple I mean, of them. I don't know. I, I I don't get on board with that stuff because I go there and I get like a sausage or a, a hot dog like every time, and um, eating peanuts and beer like that's my extent. I, I'm I'm very traditional when I go to a game. Yeah, but say you went to 20 games, you wouldn't eat that every day. I probably would. <laughs> I wouldn't eat pizza. I wouldn't salt. eat pizza at the stadium. Um, you wouldn't get a slice. No. Too hot. God. What if you I'm go to not, an I'm not April pizza game? Pizza in the middle of the day in the summer. What if you go night? to an April game? And it's forty degrees out. I got all pizza. I want a hot dog, and, my, and I want I want peanuts. That's just what I want. You. I don't want your dishless. sushi, and I don't. I don't want your. I don't want your like fillet fillet mignon hey, burger. Can we go to NYY steak this year? Sure, uh, but, yeah, but like, that's not traditional. I mean, I'll go to this. <laughs> that's before or after a game. I'm not going during the game. I'll go there. Um, so everyone was bitching on Twitter today about these new stadium updates, but it, why? Why are they? Why is people complaining about it? Though? I don't get like it. To complain about stuff, really. That's that's the bottom line. Yeah. There's All nothing. Right. There's nothing bad about any of these quote improvements, though. I don't. I don't see anything like to bitch about. I really don't. They're I, getting rid of bad seats. Ooh, I agree. And those were the cheapest seats in the house. <laughs> because you can't see left field. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, all right, Just, let's let's uh, read a mailbag here. This one comes from Greg. He says, besides Greg Bird, which Yankee prospects that are currently playing in the Arizona Fall League do you think have a chance to contribute to the 2017 big club? Then he says, P.S., I live outside of Toronto, and I can't tell you how happy I am to see the Blue Jays fall flat against the Tribe and Andrew Miller. They're the worst fan base in Major League Baseball. Most of them are bandwagon jumpers, ignorant to the game, um, and flighty. I guess he means they, they don't care about the team after the season. If you guys want some gently used and cheap Blue Jays gear, local thrift stores here are... Bursting at the seams after these bandwagoners jet settled their season. What do you guys think has the worst fan base in Major League Baseball? And he says, not counting the Rays. Uh, I think it's hilarious when you read things on on the show. <laughs> that it's, was pretty good. He put a lot of big words in there. I know. I'm, re- I'm I'm reading it along with you to see which ones you screw up because it's it's funny to me. <laughs> I didn't screw, um, I didn't screw anything up. A little bit. It was pretty good though. Ninety eight overall. Very ninety eight percent accurate. I give it an eight. Um. I do. You know, I've been getting into like a lot of projects around the house. It's becoming like a, I'm getting obsessed with it actually. And I need rags. I need a lot of rags. That's what I'm noticing. Like I stain things and I use oil. And so, yeah, I could use that gently, uh, gently used Blue Jays gear for, uh, for some rags, but yeah, and that's about it. Picking up Maddie's shit. Pick it up Maddie's shit. You know, little things like that. Yeah. You could always use a good rag, tear it in half. But yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I mean, I over what I've seen over the past few years is the Blue Jays fans are coming out of the woodwork. They've I don't know where the hell they come from. I didn't even know that were that many people from Canada in the U.S. until I saw the. Like, well, you all know the, what it is. No matter who you are from Canada, you're going to jump on the Blue Jays bandwagon. Right even now that the from, Expos, are even gone. if you're from Calgary, it's like you're you're gonna the Blue Jays are your team. Like, do Expos fans root for the Nationals? Does that is that a thing, or are they pissed off about the fact that the team's gone? I would imagine a lot of Expos fans moved over. If they were like big baseball fans, they probably are now Blue Jays fans because it's not yeah. that far from Montreal, and it was a different it was the NL to the AL, league. so it's not that difficult of a of a jump. Yeah, that makes sense. 
So yeah, I, I I tend to agree with Greg in the in the sense that they are the uh, the worst fan base that I've seen. They're 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 pretty bad. The other one that I would say is is not good are Orioles fans. I think Orioles fans are extremely delusional, and I think that it's because a lot of them are Redskins fans also, and Redskins fans are probably the worst, most delusional people on the face of this planet. You got and, that bet uh, for it's like you got to name your child something, right? No, it's I have a thirty-year bet with my nephew, <laughs> right? <laughs> that they will not win a Super Bowl by the time he, I think, is thirty. You're probably looking good for this year. Oh, one more I'm, year. You got one more this, year. This is probably one of the one of the best bets I've ever made in my life. Yeah, it's so easy. They're not. You would have said that about the Cubs thirty years ago, and who knows? Yeah, I would have. I would have won <laughs> twenty-nine years ago. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. The uh, I agree with you, but I, I guess Orioles fans are they're just delusional to me. They they seem like every year when they're good, they they the the talk the shit talking just really ramps up like they've been good for twenty years. And uh, but Blue Jays, I don't really know any Blue Jays fans. That's the only problem. I just see them from face value. I hate Seattle Mariner fans. Still. Well, that's because they all hate you. <laughs> that's because they they jump the entire state of Washington hates you. Yeah, there are those, still those there are wounds, still comments being made on that on that article. Those those wounds have not healed. <laughs> Even it, though Robbie it, Cano put up an MVP season this year. Yeah, those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, Andrew wrote an article about Robbie Cano not being happy in Seattle last year. This was last year, I think, right? Yeah. And and uh, it went viral in Washington, <laughs> and it was just the if you go back and look at the comments, like search Robbie Cano, Robinson Cano on on Bronx Pinstripes. And I'm sure you'll find it. And I mean, they were just ruthless. And then there were like fights within fights on that on that string. It was it was getting ugly. Yeah, and I believe you went on there and trolled some of them too, which really I helped did. my cause. Yeah, I went there as Tino Martinez and started trolling people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Greg's question about Greg Bird, um, or his question really about other Arizona Fall League guys. Uh, quick update: So Bird has been playing in the AFL. Gliber Torres, Miguel Anduar. Is that how you say it? Anduar? Anduar? Anduar, yeah. I think. Anduar? Yeah. Tyler we, we actually we saw him uh, when we were in spring training. He no, played no, no, quite I, a bit. I know of him. I just can't pronounce his name. Shocker. Shocker. Tyler Wade, James Caprellian, Dylan Tate, J.P. Ferizian, which is one of the guys that came Ferizian. over. Did he come over in the... Um, Andrew Miller. Was that or the Beltron trade? I think it was Andrew Miller. It okay. was him and uh, it was him and the other kid that was uh, that's that was up. Okay. Who's the other reliever that I can't think of his name right now? Yeah, it begins with an H. Heller. Yeah. Ben Heller. Yeah, Heller and Fireisen came over in the Andrew Miller trade. Okay, so he's pitching uh, Brody Com- Cormer and Nestor Cortez. Yep. Um, th- all those guys are in the Arizona Fall League. Um, interesting. I don't know if you saw this. I stumbled upon this fact. Tyler Wade's been playing outfield. And he has been a shortstop for them. So they they moved um, Jorge Mateo to the outfield a little bit. And now they're experimenting with Tyler Wade in the outfield. They're definitely doing some some different things with uh, with these guys. And it's very obvious that they have a very, uh, a very stacked, you know, sh- uh, middle infield. So they're trying to see where these guys can go. And if they're athletic enough, um, I, I see them uh, being... Look, a shortstop could play right field. A shortstop could play left field. I guarantee it. Tell that to Ian Desmond. Yeah, he's playing left field. He played left field all year. He played center field and made a horrendous error in the uh, ALDS. 
Well, you know what? He played. He hit the ball very well this year and played a pretty decent outfield the whole year. I'm not going to mark it by one one miss misplay. I mean, the dude could play. The other thing, I would I would love his bat on my team. Um, but yeah, there's some interesting names there. I think Gliber Torres, first of all, has been lighting it up. I mean, he's been playing very well out there. Uh, so that's a guy. I mean, if you remember who the last guy was that lit it up as a New York Yankee, he did pretty well when he came to the Bronx. Uh, so so Torres is something I, I, so a guy that we could definitely look at and and be excited about. Um, as far as next year, the uh, who do you got for next year? So I was thinking Greg Bird for sure. Well, yeah, other than Bird, I was thinking Caprillion only if he if his arm is staying healthy, I could see him being like a September call up because pitchers can shoot through the system and he's a, obviously a top draft pick and it's got nasty stuff. So other than that, I mean, I don't see any of the position players really shooting through the system just because I don't think they're going to rush them. No, you I think you're right with that. The I think Caprillion could definitely come up sooner than that even. I think if he shows very well, I think they're going to start moving him up. Yeah, but he's I have a feeling above high A ball. I know, but I have a feeling they know that there may be a very limited shelf life with him. I mean, he's God, shown that we his have arm. like a Steven Strasburg situation yeah, where I'm it's serious. Where where they're going to try to take advantage of this guy while his health is there. Yeah, I, I could see that not happening. A bad, not a bad plan. Get his age 22 to like 28 seasons rather than his 25 to 33 yeah. seasons. Yeah, because this is a guy. I mean, I've been talking about him for ever since we drafted him in the way that he throws. You know, I I used to look at a, a lot of the mechanics with guys and that inverted W. Uh, guys here, like Mark here Pryor, comes Scott the Scout. Yeah, Mark Pryor and uh, uh, what was the dude on um, on uh, St. Louis? Mark, not Martinez. Car- I, I forget his name. Carpenter. No, it was a. He was a young guy. He he threw like that. The elbows up. It's the it's it's when you see the delivery coming in. Rick Angel. Strasburg does the same thing. You know those elbows go up and it's called an inverted W. And you know I think one of the biggest things for a starting pitcher to to have a sustained career is having that elbow below the shoulder. Unless you're just a freak of an athlete. Anthony Reyes is the guy I was thinking of. Um, and you see a lot of those guys that pitch like that have very very short careers. And Caprillion has a very very distinct inverted W. Like his elbow goes way above his shoulder. Which means there's just a ton that's of torque on that, that elbow. Like I don't know, I don't know the answer to this, but isn't that something they can just fix? Like just stop throwing like that. No, because that's the way he throws. You can't, you can't just change the mechanics of a way the guy, a guy throws. Of course you can. Of course you can. No, that's a dramatic change. That's a huge change. I feel like that's a change. I, we're smart enough as like a as a baseball system to catch that when he's like 15 years old and stop it. Oh, okay, yes, when you're 15, yeah, but not now. I mean, he's been pitching like yeah, that since high now school, Now it's probably too late, but why would you too- allow a guy to continue that through his high school and college career when you see, okay, he's throwing 95 miles an hour at age 17. Oh, dude, this, I have so many answers to this question. This it's kid is going to be, this kid's got something, but he has an inverted W, so maybe let's try and change his mechanics before he's fully developed and in professional baseball. Okay, because in middle school when it starts, nobody has any idea what they're talking about, and it's it's like Jimmy's. I think by the time high Jimmy school Dillon's, rolls around, and yeah, James high school Cap- coaches don't know what they're talking about. I think either, a high time. school coach of James Caprillion and there's scouts looking at the dude. I think they could they could figure that out. But the point is, is if scouts are looking at him at that point, he's doing well. So why are they going to change something he's doing well? He hasn't gotten hurt yet, so they're just going to keep going. I'm telling you, they just roll with it. They just roll with it. If the dude's doing well and helping their team at that point, and he's succeeding, nobody wants to change anything. And they're all at that point. Everybody's like, "Not my kid, not my guy. Not gonna, not gonna be a short career here." He's he looks strong. He looks good. So they just roll with it. Um, it is what it is. But 
I, I do think he has a, a short shelf life, so I could see them him rising through the system if he's doing well. I mean, when he was healthy, he's nasty. He's he's a he's a tremendous starting pitcher. The other guy who I think could uh, could be up even to start the to the season. I think if he has a good spring, is JP Fires, and I think he's a guy that came over. I think he's in Double A, might be in Triple A right now. I'm not sure. He's might be in Double A or was in Double A, um, but he's a guy who's a relief pitcher who who uh, everywhere he's gone has pitched very well, has done a very good job uh, everywhere he's gone in the Cleveland organization, pitched very well in the Yankees organization, and I think is a guy that they uh, they see as kind of a fast riser and, and could definitely be you know either part of the Scranton shuttle, you know, coming up and, and back between Scranton, or, or, or if, if all goes well, you know, it could be a fixture in the, in the Yankees bullpen. How do you say his name? Fire Rising. Uh, that's a good name. I like that. It is. Fire Rising. Like Fire Rising. Too bad he couldn't take Brody Cormer's first name, Brody Fireisen. <laughs> Brody Fire. I like. J- I don't know. You're just gonna call him Fireisen, though. Yeah. Um, that's what I was thinking about while you were on that long spiel. By the way. <laughs> um, I, I listen to your. I listen to your stupid sabermetric stuff, but you, hey, you're gonna listen to my mechanics. <laughs> I'm kidding. I listen. Unbelievable. Invert W. I heard it. Um, George King on the New York Post wrote something that he thinks uh, he's hearing sort of from scouts that not only is uh, Anjuar, Anjuar, who's 21 years old, who we just said is playing very well in the Arizona Fall League, he's passed um, Jorge Mateo, but also Gleyber Torres within the system. There's just been a lot of negativity surrounding Jorge Mateo's name over the past five, six months. Yeah, it's really unfortunate because the guy's just a, a crazy athlete. Hopefully, he can pull a Gary Sanchez. Maybe Sanchez reaches out to him and says, "Hey, this is these are some some uh, methods and that help me and and maybe can help you too." So King was very bullish on him though and said, uh, "Anduar, I'm just gonna call him Miguel because I I I can't say the name. Miguel um, could even pressure Chase Headley this season." I think if there's a, he's you know the one thing I didn't realize is that his uh, his offense I I feel like I knew about his glove but his offense I didn't know was and I think he took a big jump this year yeah but that's a kid that's definitely uh, very interesting you know who we need to have on the podcast is um, Miguel is there no is our well yeah we could bring him on too but is our our buddy from uh, from Tampa who who is uh, who's good buddies with Andujar and good buddies with Mateo we need to have him oh, on oh uh, Capote yeah or, yeah. Uh, we should, because he actually sat with Anduar's fiance or wife when I when I met him when I was down there. He's, he's married he's good at twenty one. It might have been his girlfriend. I don't know. It's too young to get married. Says you, who's not married. I'm not. I wasn't married at twenty one. Are you kidding me? Uh, but I I mean I think that's music to my ears. If he's going to be pressuring Headley, the Yankees owe absolutely nothing to Chase Headley. They've shown that they have no problem moving on from veteran players who are underperforming. If if Chase Headley has another mediocre year this year, uh, I mean I would love for them to just try and cut bait with him. As he's know. not going to have a full me- mediocre year. That's the thing. I think you know if if he's if he's not playing well in the beginning of the year he's got a i think he's got a month two months to uh to prove that he's he's doing well because there's no well, reason for him to be so. on the team I, I mean yeah last year they were probably thinking this team is going to contend this team is going to contend so let chase headley go through his struggles and he never right. really got out of it until it was way too late but yeah i mean if he's if it's may 10th then he is hitting 200 with one home run what, what are you running him out there for other than the fact he's making 13 million bucks so uh, young young players in the organization 
putting pressure on the old guys is awesome. It is awesome. There's a lot of them putting pressure. Um, all right, before we get out of here, some football thoughts. Your New York Jets have the most hilarious quarterback situation I have ever seen in my entire life. Why? It's the same thing that's been going on for like 10 years. There's no difference. Just I different feel names. bad for Geno Smith. Why? I don't know. Every because time he's in, he's terrible. Every he's time so... he's in, he gets injured or punched in the face. And then well, Fitzpatrick comes strolling back in, throwing 15 picks. He didn't throw 15 picks. He threw. He he led the Jets to a win. That's all he did. Uh, I Look, mean, like 15 picks this season. Yeah, I, if I'm if I'm if I'm a, a Jets fan rooting for the Jets to win, which I'm not convinced I am <laughs> at this point, um, I, I would way rather see Fitzpatrick play than Geno. But honestly, at this point, I want to see. Uh, I want to see Petty play. I want to. I don't want to see either one of them play at this time. If, if well, they saw which I don't, I don't, that the Jets are going to compete for a playoff. Well, spot. because I don't think because if you look at what this team is, they're not as bad as what their record is. It, there's just too much. There's too much talent on this team for them to be as bad as they are. I don't think they're not as bad as they've shown. They're they're a better team than that. So do I think they could be better? Absolutely. And do I think they could get back to 500? And then who knows what happens from there? I don't. You know, with the wild card and all that, very possible. But um, you know, if they lose two more games. You know, in the in the next you know four weeks, then you got to go with uh, one of the kids. Nobody cares about Gino. He's not going to be on the team. Nobody cares about well, the kids at that an point. ACL. Well, fine. He's Joe Namath was even giving him shit on uh, on Twitter. I don't know if you saw that. No, and I then didn't. Gino Gino I didn't fired know Joe Namath was on Twitter. I got to follow him. Yeah, and then Gino fired back at him saying, "Oh God, someone should tell Joe that the trainers or the the doctors are the ones that make the decisions on who comes back." And also tell him that I love him. That's what he said. <laughs> um, you're so delusional if you think the Jets can still get back to 500 and compete for a playoff spot this year. I'm not delusional. I don't. I, I'm just saying. You just if that said were to you happen. didn't even know if you were really rooting for them anymore, and then in the same breath said that they could make the playoffs. I never said they could make the playoffs. Now you're just putting <laughs> words in my mouth. I said that. The, the way that the schedule is and the way that it lays out, I could see them at some point getting back to 500. Yeah, I okay. could see that Got because it. they are better. They are better than what they've played. I, I believe that. But at the same time, who knows with that wild card? The wild card is going to be muddy as hell. It always is every it's, year. It's amazing how many bad teams there are in football. Uh, do you think that's the reason for all the ratings uh, drop this year and that people are saying football is boring this year? Is it just the mediocrity? I think that and the flags, honestly. I think there are so many damn flags. Is, that, is there more flags this year than last year, though, or two it years really, ago? See, it's getting annoying. It's uh, it's the the way that every single time there's an incomplete pass, the receiver looks for a flag every single time. Yeah, and It and just drives me crazy. The fact that if you're a fan rooting for a, a game and you, your defensive player makes a nice play, Instead of cheering, you immediately look at the bottom no flag, of the TV no and yeah. yeah, and say no flag, no flag. It's it's yeah. actually infuriating. Yeah, it's terrible. It's taking the the game to a, a level that that nobody wants to see because you're you're then just dependent on these and they're and they're not bad. That's the problem. They're the penalties are so freaking touchy. All these defensive pen, uh, pass interference calls are awful. I mean, let them let them like play slapskies a little bit. Let, let them, them touch. touch. Let these grown men touch each other. It's well, ridiculous. Well, the, the messed up thing is that come week 15 and 16 when playoff don't call positions it. are on the line and then in the playoffs, they don't call it, and that's bullshit. That's, that would be like if uh, umpires in baseball called a bigger strike zone in April than they did in September. It would be horseshit. Yeah, it's, 
it's uh, it's definitely lost it for me a little bit. And I, I think that there are well, also there's a lot so of many... factors at play. And I think like the flags, like you said, is one. The mediocrity among the league is one. And when's the last, I can't remember the last good Thursday night or Monday night game. Like they put these horseshit teams on. This Thursday is Jacksonville, Jacksonville and Tennessee. It's like, are you kidding me? Who the hell is going to watch that? And they keep doing these stupid color rush things that are ma- driving me insane. Yeah, like, have other- you seen the Jags yellow jerseys? No, but oh they're, my God, I can't like, even handle their helmets. Their helmets like are freaking- it looks like urine. You know, <laughs> uh, the last, the only ones that I've actually res- remotely liked were the Packers ones when they were in all white. I thought those looked kind of cool. But isn't white but, not a color? I don't know. <laughs> now you're getting ridiculous. I, how am I supposed to know this? If white, I don't think white's <laughs> color- a color. It is. It, it's not Roy G. Biv. You're right. It's not on the. It's not on that scale. Yeah. If you're not on the Roy G. Biv scale, then you're not a color. I learned that in first grade. Fine. My memory doesn't go back to first grade anymore because of all the alcohol that I drank in college and after college. Tough guy. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so the yeah they they're doing like gimmicks on Thursday night. They're terrible games. I'll tell you the other thing. So there's there's penalties. We we know that there's a ton of penalties, and a lot of that is because of the new rules. And you can't, it could be zero contact uh, after five yards, and it's stupid. The other thing is the the collective bargaining agreement and the fact that these guys can't practice as much. Yeah. That's also a big problem because what we're seeing is a lot more injuries because these guys are conditioned for football as much as they used to be. So you know you're seeing all these non-contact injuries or. You know they they get touched a little bit and these guys are are, are pulling up with hamstrings and all these uh, you know the the soft t- the soft tissue injuries you're seeing it constantly and the fact that they don't practice as much you're seeing a lot of the penalties for that reason too so there's no practice time if your first round if your first uh, starting quarterback is out of the game and your second uh, your your second string quarterback's in this dude hasn't had any time with the first team because there's no play there's no practice time for that. And uh, you're seeing terrible football. Yeah, and there's so much else going on right now. I mean, not only is the election going on, but I mean, you could watch a number of different good TV shows on Thursday night instead of Tennessee versus Jacksonville or Monday night. Which, didn't Monday night used to be good games, and now they're horseshit games. And yeah, I, I thought, I, I like, thought they would they would uh, they would move the games right. Well, that they sometimes That's flex the games into Sunday, and Sunday yeah. usually has a good matchup. But I can't remember who. I don't even know who we're recording this Monday night. I could not tell you for the life of me who's playing football tonight. The only reason I know it is because of fantasy implications. It's okay. the uh, the Broncos and the Texans. I mean, that's me. That's mediocre. That's not. Good. I mean, it is the Super Bowl champions versus the guy that they they went away from and went for Trevor Smith. There's storylines there. Okay, fine. Maybe this is a bad a bad example, but I mean there's been some really bad boring Monday night games and if you're what are you East talking Coast, about the Jets the Jets played last if week. If you're an East you, Coast you viewer, about? if you're an East Coast viewer, who the hell's staying up until 11:45 at night to watch the Texans versus the Broncos? You're not. Yeah. So, it's 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 sad because the 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 game last night went forever. It was a, it was a horrible three to three game, and <laughs> it a, like it was like watching three to three dry. in the eighteenth inning. Uh, it was like and then, watching and then Esteban Loiza came in and shanked it, and uh, yeah, that was and terrible. I was Esteban Loiza, and I was only I was only I was watching thinking it of because, a guy that usually came in for the Yankees in the extra innings and screwed everything up. Esteban Loiza had a decent little run with the White Sox. He was on that. Was he on? Yeah, the, yes, oh. he was on that 05 team. Oh my God. He was their ace. Oh my god! No, he wasn't. No, he, he was one of their uh, one of their top I three pitchers. I refuse to to. <laughs> I refuse to say ace with Esteban Loaiza. 
I, I, I am going to be so mad. Maybe he maybe he's in this ace conversation. But yeah, so it was. Uh, no, he was on the White Sox before the Yankees. Yeah, so I knew that. That's where he got good. Was he was good with the White Sox? Yeah, and then he came. Then oh five, he wasn't on them. So he wasn't on that team. No. Oh, that would have been perfect. Anyway. Anywho, yeah. So football's boring. Baseball's awesome. Let's uh, let's go Yankees. Let's go Indians. Uh, any last words before we get out of here? Just hopefully a, a good World Series. That's that's what I'm looking for now. I want some uh, some some drama. And uh, keep an eye out for that audio on Wednesday of the 96 interviews. Hit us up on Twitter at Yankees Podcast. Submit mailbags at BronxPinstripes.com slash podcast. My Twitter handle is at Andrew underscore Rotondi. Scott's is at Scott Reinen. At Bronx Pinstripes is the website. Did I miss anything? The voicemail line, 646 Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees.